This is Pampered Savages. Good to be here. Hey, it's good to have you, man. So this uh, this is definitely a very intriguing and very big thing for me because this is my very first guest, and I'm very honored to introduce this man. Uh, Nick and I are commercial divers who have been working for a long time all over the place, underwater, in tunnels, all sorts of crazy stuff. So Nick, why don't you tell the folks at home, where did you get your start? Oh boy. All right. Well, I guess I could really say I got my start when uh, I was in, so I joined the army in 2004 and uh, I got out of active duty in 2006 and I worked at a particle board plant and things were going okay. I was just doing, you know, just drinking and partying you know chasing chasing everything and right right i eventually got tired of that and i figured out that living the single life is extremely exhausting it is and, uh, it is yeah and this paycheck the paycheck wasn't cutting it so i i said you know what i'm gonna go to dive school my buddy wanted to do it too and uh, he ended up checking it out but <laughs> it it led me to to a lot of triumphs and a lot of downfalls right right uh, so starting out, uh, it was about 2007, I decided to go to dive school. And so where did you go to school at? This was at DIT in Seattle. This yeah. is that's probably 90% of the divers listening to this probably went there too. Yep. Yep. Um, so did I. Yep. Yep. A lot of us did. And yeah. uh, actually, what class were you? I was 10208. 08? See, I was a couple of years after you. I was in class 11110 and I had a couple of medical issues that I ended up missing the, like one of the days that they were doing the elections. So I was going to be the president of the class, but because I missed the day, I ended up becoming uh -huh. the vice president of the class. So, oh, gee whiz. You know, that's, that's okay. I, I was actually the president of my class. You know, no oh, big deal. Oh, you know, that's why you're <laughs> such a big deal, Nick, and I'm not. <laughs> well, you know, that's what some people say. I like to believe so. So now, looking back in your time at DIT, what made you, I mean, you, you, you talked about why you decided to get into commercial diving. How long have you been doing it? Uh, this is, you know, I haven't, I haven't been in the water since 2018. Okay. Uh, actually, it was a little before that. Yeah. It yeah. might have been 2017. Uh, I got it. My career ended a little bit after I did a saturation job in Egypt, and we'll talk about that later. Right, uh, right. We don't need to get into that. But now... Just so the people and I, people at home know, like Nick and I have actually worked together, and we worked in the tunnel in Seattle, didn't we? Yep, we worked in Nia Bay. Well, you worked in Nia Bay. We've only gone spearfishing in Nia Bay. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, that yeah. was a fun job. That was actually a really fun job. I actually I did a little spearfishing. I, I did some spearfishing while I was waiting on the crane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I'm yeah, I got a, I got a cavazon, and I got some pile perch. There's some uh, striped perch. Man, I'm just I'm hankering to go spearfishing. I'm really looking forward to that. Cause yeah, now, anybody else? <laughs> yeah, back in the day, you and I we were talking about doing like a little group of like who got the biggest lingcock for the year, right? Yeah. Yeah, there was a couple of us. Yeah, that's that right. I still have the trophy from. Uh, God, it must be four years old now. I still got the trophy between. <laughs> uh, there's four of us. Right. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have to start that up. We'll have to get a. We'll have to build a new trophy and just get a different group of people to do that. It's going to have to be a CNC machine trophy. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you know, obviously, you love the water. You've been in it for a long time. 
did that love of the water start as a kid or did you always, I mean, like, where did that, where did that come from? No, I think it started when my brother and I were steelhead fishing in Eastern Oregon. Okay. Oh, I must've been 12 or 13. Right. And I had a, I had a sand vest that I used for track and field. Nice. Leg strengthening stuff. And I got tired of losing all my rigs, jigs, <laughs> slinky weights. Yeah. eggs everything on the bottom so i got that vest and i got a, a mask uh-huh. so i decided to just go walk around on the bottom and it was <laughs> it was the most intense thing i'd ever done so you just did you feel like you were finding buried treasure i did oh i did i yeah, did and i still and i still like to free dive some of the fishing docks at the some of the local lakes in washington you find all sorts of stuff i found a camera oh yeah i found uh last i'm year, not just a commercial diver Oh yeah, last year, you know, I was playing around with my scuba rig and I found that uh, Lord Ganesha statue in uh, the scope where we were hanging out there in uh, yeah. King County. So yeah, there's there's always there's no shortage of stuff on bottom. There's there really isn't. So we've we've managed to pull a lot of big big boats out of the ocean and various other things. So yeah, that's a different story for a different time. So I've left a lot of stuff on bottom too. Well, like I say, by accident and on purpose. Right, right. And I definitely, my very first dive in the Gulf of Mexico, I remember I I was so excited because it had been like I had after I graduated DIT, man, it took me almost 14 months before I got in the water out in the Gulf. And Mm -hmm. I was so they wouldn't clear me because of weight. You had to be a certain weight BMI to be able to get clear to dive. And I, I couldn't do it. I was so, I mean, I'm not a small person, you know that. You're six so, foot six? I'm six, six. And at the time when I was graduating, I was right around 310, 315, but I started off school at like 330. Yeah. And, you know, in order for me to get cleared, I had to be, they wouldn't let me dive until I reached 270. And even yeah. some of the, my old friends from the Gulf will tell you, I look weird at 270. It looked very weird. I'll bet, I'll bet you do. And it's, you know, my head looked massive. My shoulder, my neck looked tiny and everything. I just, it, it was weird because you get used to the way your body works in certain ways. Sure. And it's like, I literally couldn't muscle things that I used to. I had to think more. Oh, and darn it. Yeah, darn, I don't like this in my head. It's the brain pains. <laughs> so... Yeah, man, it was it was a really interesting time to get through those those hoops to finally be able to get in the water. And absolutely, the first dive, I, I learned a lot because I I was a kid in a candy shop, man. We're out in the Gulf, and I'm seeing these shiny schools of fish, and it just looks like silver dancing in the water. And I'm just like, oh, look at the shiny, so much shiny. And my boss on the comms was like, all right, that's great. Now get to work. <laughs> that's awesome. So, you know. Yeah, it certainly, certainly has that that awe inspiring factor to it yeah you know you get down there it's like you're flying that, that's the way i always felt like it's like i, I could just fly anywhere it's like exactly. being in the best you're dream weightless. i've ever had you're weightless underwater and you're doing amazingly difficult highly detailed technical stuff yep and i love those challenges man. yeah i did too so i really really like welding although I'll bet anybody listening to this is probably going to say the same thing. Uh, underwater welders are what we commonly call ourselves sometimes. Right. Uh, don't actually do much welding. No, 
Not at I all. I have to say I'm an underwater welder just so people understand I work in the water. If I say I'm a commercial diver, they're going to say, oh, you drive a semi? Right, right, right. And I remember saying after the first couple of years, I was like, I, I was so boastful. Like, yeah, look at me. I'm a commercial diver. Yeah, I play with fire and electricity, blah, blah, blah. And oh, these, yeah. And like after like year three of doing it, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm a worm farmer. <laughs> I'm yeah. a hand model. <laughs> I'm, any, any lie that I could tell to Not just avoid the conversation because it always goes to, oh, so you scuba dive? What do you dive for? <laughs> oh, my God. I like the one, uh, the, oh, my God, you guys make a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. By by trade, yes. The trade is, well, it's an expensive trade. It, I mean, it is it the is. most expensive trade there is. Yes, absolutely. The clients and it yourself. The not, insurance not alone. Physically. The insurance costs alone for doing business and commercial diving. Like the only one that I'm really aware of is what is it Floyd's of London or Lloyd's of London? They're massive. I don't know. But like I said, the, the insurance costs to just be a commercial dive company and have, you know, five to six people on a dive job, it's extraordinarily expensive. Like when we were working, what was it like almost 10 grand a day for some of us for for the for the company? Oh yeah. So, and, it, and even it varies depending on what company you're doing and what you're doing. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. one guy that's getting paid 40 bucks an hour might be costing the company 250 bucks an hour. Exactly. Insurance, you know, yes, all sorts of options they got. So, and that just kind of helps us segue into this next part about like, you know, just what it takes to grow and advance in our field. So, like you say, you start off at DIT, you go through tending, hopefully. You know, you're not going to get in the water right away, right? Right. No, you, you can't expect to. Right. You're just not humble enough if you're going out there thinking that you're just going to get in the water. And I'm a diver. I came out of school. And it's time for me to, you know, I, I bought this new helmet. Right. Yeah. right. I got the shiny new thing, and I'm really good. Yeah. Because I you and I both I know. The days. Yeah, you and I both know from experience that the tools that we get to mess with you don't get to play with them anywhere else. You don't get to use these tools. And the and fact that they're so expensive. Hey, here's a, here's a question for you. If I, had, I had found a bunch of tools one time. Uh, oh, okay, I'll get to the question after the story. Okay. Uh, we were working on the Duwamish River, um, okay. working for a company called Viracon. We were just doing cleanup, pulling right. out all the, the PCBs out of, out of the Duwamish right there by the old Boeing place. Right, right. And... Uh, they had a, a work barge flip, a small, just a, like a 20 by 40 work barge. Yeah. And uh, it flipped right over underneath the bridge and, and we we're down there dredging for like six hours a pop. Yeah. I found a uh, 120 volt Dewalt heavy duty three quarter impact. Ooh. Barnacles on it and every, oh dude, we found so much stuff on this job from that right, barge. Right. They lost a lot of money, but I was like, okay, I'll send it up in the bucket. Yep. guys get on deck and they just i say hey, just rinse it out with you know fresh water right. if you can right let's see if we can fix uh, it the next day after it was dried i was still scraping barnacles off it off the inside dude that thing fired up it was like a dewalt commercial <laughs> sure. that's but, awesome you know what they say finders keepers yeah and in the international salvage game yeah it gets even more convoluted and yeah i'm not we don't need to talk. I won't even that. talk about my salvage plungers. Right, right, right. And that's, that's like say, for, those, for those that don't know, 
you you don't know, and we're not going to get into it because that's very personal and very private. So anyhow, it might be illegal. No, just kidding. Well, no, no. Yeah, like I say, it's just yeah. That's for those of you that don't know and are out in the field. You're not going to find out until you get in there and you actually have the reputation and the experience necessary to get out there and figure it out for yourself. So back to just like some of our experiences. Now, we were the last job you and I were on was was it the tunnel? Yeah, it was the Seattle Tunnel. It yeah. Worked for SPP, Seattle Tunnel Partners. Yeah, yeah. I was the uh, I was the night foreman. Yep. And you were one of the divers. Yeah, I remember when you try to climb through those little doors. Yeah. Such a big man that you are. Well, and that was so hilarious because yeah, we're we're being pressed. So for those of you that don't understand, the Seattle tunneling project, which was done by what birth was it Bertha? Yeah, the name was the name of the thing was Bertha. It was all over the news. It yeah. So this this tunneling boring machine, our job was to go down and either replace some of the boring heads or do maintenance or just do inspections. And our job, like my job as a diver was to literally clip these guys off that were laborers and just watch them pressure wash for, what was it? How long were we down? Um, you know, I, I want to say, I want to say then if we had the miners in there, we were probably doing four hour pops. Yeah. If but it, it was, was only like, it was only like maybe, maybe two hours. It seemed like it didn't seem like a lot of work was actually getting done every dive. Well, if I was, was just running, stop. I'd probably cut you guys short. <laughs> well, like I say, you know, the job's done. It's, you know, the tunnel's in, obviously. But, yeah, it was it was a case of, for me, it was very boring. Because <laughs> hey. I didn't get to do the work. I, I just handed them the guns, clipped them in, made sure all the valves were aligned, make sure they got a good seal when we had to pressure. Because the front of the boring machine, that whole area, is pressurized. So that's why yep. we had to have an intermediate system to get to the depth for the physics. So, so the way we actually got into those machines yeah. is you'd be at atmospheric pressure, just yep. you know, out here on the surface. Then you go down mm -hmm. inside the tunnel and you climb up the stairs and stuff till you get to a series of locks. Right. And these locks were in a pressure vessel. We, we call these man locks. So you can go in, close the door, pressurize it. And then you're at the same pressure as the very front of the machine where these tools are and these cutters and where we're doing the pressure washing. Yeah. And I only got, uh, so I weaseled in, I think twice on the oh, birth. Yeah. I actually weaseled in. I, I stepped down from the, uh, from the management and, and actually got in there uh, yeah. just a couple times. Me and me and my friend, Eric. See, and I really enjoyed Yeah. I really enjoyed all of that, man. Cause I like, the thing about working in the commercial diving industry is like for just about every responsible company, you're supposed to do safety briefings prior to getting into whatever you're getting into. And Nick would always, always, always had this beautiful smile and this habit of saying, whatever you do, stay safe. <laughs> and it just was so epic. Every time you get in, I'm trying not to crack up laughing at these guys that are like laborers that have no clue or minors. Another but, one. Another that I like to tell some of the new guys that we get, because, you know, these big projects, you get a lot of bodies thrown at it. Yeah. They they get these big wild eyes or they're about ready to get blown down and they probably never have before. And I say, <laughs> for God's yeah. sakes, be careful. There's pressure everywhere. <laughs> they, have, exactly. they have no idea what to make of that. 
Well, now that just kind of brings me to my next kind of a joking matter. Like some of the funny pranks that we used to play on each other as divers, supervisors, and just people in, in the field. I remember, oh, yeah. I mean, just talking from my own experience, I remember uh, tying a, a fish to somebody's D-ring on their harness once. <laughs> oh, that's good. Did they know oh, it? Yeah. And, and we've done, I mean, I've done all sorts of ridiculous pranks and we just all have fun. It's, it's a case of if you're, the, the trust level you have to accrue to be a part of a successful dive team, you literally got to trust these people with your life. Yeah. And that there's no other way to say it than that because you are. If you're the person up front, if you're the person that's getting in the tools, you're all a team. Exactly. And if I'm going to turn this interview a- around a little bit on you, I'm going to switch yeah. this interview around and I'm going to ask you, okay. where did you get your start? Um, I went to DIT and I started going in the Gulf of Mexico in 2011. And I worked at CalDive International. Then I went to Triton Diving Services and then had a massive falling out with uh, the office people there, unfortunately. I mean, I still had a lot of good friends there, but uh, I ended up doing some freelancing stuff. I moved back up to the Northwest. I started doing gooey duck harvesting for a bit. And then I got into doing other <clears throat> random weirdness. And I eventually got into the union with you and all the brothers and sisters. A shout out to local 196, Paul Drivers and Divers. You know, that was a really awesome. There's, I'm still a member, but it's just a case of, yeah, that's, that's a very colorful chapters throughout all of my life. And I've done freelance. I've done a lot of freelance work. And I'm not saying that I've gone nearly as far as most of the people. Like, I, I, I'll be the first one to tell you, I'm not the best diver, not even close. Now, I'm competent now because I've gone through a lot of growing pains as a diver. And yes, I do. Yeah, and, and that's just the same with you, Nick. I mean, we we all started off green, right? Yes, we did. And that's just it, is if you're going to make it in this industry, yeah, it's a very detail-oriented, very technical, a lot of hazards, but we do our best to mitigate most of them. But there's failures all the time. So which brings me back to you, man. Like, if you were going to tell a new guy or someone that's in the field the things that you wish you could see you know, more improvements necessary in the whole industry as a whole, just here in the United States of America, what, what, what would be like some of the things you'd want to talk about first and foremost to those people that are in the field? You know, I guess if I was to, to do this from the floor up, I would say that the tenders uh, should be a little more competent. Um, I don't, I don't think their job is necessarily to be ready for diving. Right. It's, they need to be more prepared to like hustle yeah. on deck and get shit done. Right. Uh, because one of my problems was a lack of motivation, especially in the tunnel projects where we had a lot of, a lot of new guys, Yep. Uh, they would show up and they would, and I'd say, Hey, welcome to the crew. You guys are, you know, you're going to be going in on this time, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, why, why ain't I doing this? Or why ain't I diving? Well, if I have to have the guys sit on the man locks right. uh, to run the decompression, I mean, somebody's got to do it, and I can't do it all by myself. Exactly, and, and I think that's everybody. right. I think you nailed it right on the head, Nick. Is it, is it, you have to understand you're part of a team, and you're just one of the cogs in this massive machine. You know? Yeah, I think another another fail point is that is is somewhere in the reception of the new guys. Right. Now, 
And there's women too. So, I mean, like, I mean, when you say guys, these women are absolutely guys. They're amazing people. Yeah. There's, there's a few women that I've worked with that were really good. Yes. Um, and I don't, and I don't even like, it's weird for me to say this, like the females that I've worked with, I don't see them as girls or ladies or women. They're amazing. I don't, I mean, it's weird. I don't see them that way because they're professionals. Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, and, for me, it's like when I see a female in this industry, which is a male dominated, I mean, it's got to be probably 99% male dominated. Probably. That's fair. Uh, when there's a chicken, she's successful. Not okay. all more. It's like, wow, I have a really good appreciation for, you know, not only just her as a worker, but like, okay, that that's a little boost for the females, you know, for the right. girls in the group. But now to be fair to both genders, there's just as much slackers as there are success stories too oh god yeah and that's something that we weed out over the time like we're gonna find out who you are no matter what you say by just watching you work i would say the the majority of the females i've worked with or they've worked for me i guess in a sense right. uh, especially on tunnel projects and stuff maybe a few dive jobs uh it's a tough gig. It's a really tough gig. And Absolutely. I would say the majority of them are successful because there's not right. very many. I, mean, I right. can think but those, of but yeah, those five are off the top of my head. Right. And I, for me, I'm, a, I'm of the same mindset. Don't get me wrong. I've seen a few failure, failing females, but you're right. Most of them that I have witnessed absolutely are very successful and very professional and very, very competent. It definitely takes... And this goes for men too. It definitely takes a different kind of person yep. to be able to make it through your first couple of years, especially. I couldn't agree more, man. I couldn't agree more. That's really what it comes down to is if you're motivated, come to work prepared and have the right attitude, you have a good chance of success. So now, I think that's definitely one of the biggest things that we see even more so today than in years past is just that some some people aren't necessarily coming to work with the right attitude, you know? Some, some just don't. Some expect, yeah. some come in with expectations unrealistically and they, yeah. they flop and, and they get mad and they get out of the industry and right. just have and a hard I, time. Right. And I don't want to overgeneralize and say it's just young people, but I do I see it more often in younger people than I do in older people. But I do see that in all ages. Yeah. Yeah, I've had I've had quite a few guys on tunnel projects. Yeah. That they might have been really good divers, but they've been doing it forever. But when it comes to tunneling, they think that shit's gonna transfer over and it doesn't. Right. Um exactly. Like we've had a couple tunnel projects like one in Ohio where we try to send in just divers to fill the shoes of the tunnel guys who's I mean, we've been playing with all these tools and yep. all these cutters and these tunnel boring machines. And then when they brought the real divers in, they yeah. called real divers, the most experienced guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they flopped and they just, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know the tools. They didn't, they were yeah. good divers. They were in the water. I mean, yeah. And that, anybody and that's, can a blow bubbles. That, that's a real shame when you see that, right? <laughs> it really is because, you know, they're respected and, and uh, you get a chance, especially me. I was a younger guy working with these guys that have been working for 20, 30 years. Right. And it puts me, I wouldn't say it puts me on the same level, but it levels the playing field a little bit. They come oh, in, yeah. they don't know anything about tunneling. And I've been doing it for 10 years. 
Yeah. And it's like our, we're equals all of a sudden. It's like the right. teacher becomes the student. <laughs> the, cool. the, the, te- the student has become the master. Yeah. Now, let me, that just kind of brings me, reminds me of a thought that I want to share with you and just see if you've ever had this happen in your career. I've actually, over the past, you know, umpteen years or whatever, I've had some of my colleagues, former divers, former supervisors, call me up and ask me, what do you think about this person? Do you know this person? They say they know you. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah. And actually, do you remember that job that went to Egypt? Yeah. Big set, set job yeah. that I was on. I barely missed um, out on that, by the way. Dude, I vetted so many people. Yeah. I vetted probably 100 different people, calling people, asking about them. This guy really a diver, you know, yeah. things like that. Yeah. You'll find a lot of them are blowing smoke. Well, and that's just it is it's it's a case of, yeah, it's a very niche community. It's a very small thimble of humanity, really. Yeah, oh, it is. And and the fact that your reputation will show up on the job site before you do, yeah, it behooves you to really keep that in mind when you go to work. You know what they say, you're only as good as your last dive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's literally the way I've approached it. And I've, and I've had failing dives where I was embarrassed. Oh God. You know, I remember uh, working up in Everett on a job and I can't remember the name of the company, but the point is that I got lost doing piles. I was, I was doing a pile wrap. I was doing a pile wrap job and I was somehow, there was like six piles ready to get concrete grouted into them. And I was supposed to hook up the grout hose and I got lost because there was four of them that were ready to go. And like a ding dong, I just got, you know, you get disoriented. So I, Hey, were you out there? Was that on a job with Mark and Shane? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was Mark and Shane. Yeah. Good, talked good to call. Shane. This is a small world. I was talking to Shane about a year ago and uh, a guy named Shane Venture. He's a real good friend of ours. Yeah, he's a good dude. Uh, he, does he still have that Ford? He's still got that great big Ford, man. Oh, that thing was a beast of a truck. Anyhow, I, uh, we were talking about- I'm building I'm building two rifles for him right now. One's, <laughs> one's done and needs a new muzzle brake, and the other one, uh, I'm almost done. I got to I got to straighten a muzzle brake on it that yeah, he had put on. So. so you were talking to Shane about that job or what? I was talking to Shane about that. Yeah, he was telling me, and I think I, think I want to say he mentioned something about you just having a rough dive oh man i i did i i, and scott, I, I mean i love scott scott was my supervisor at the time but yeah, yeah he had every right to rip me apart for that failure because it did. did it cost i blew that dive big time <laughs> yeah i really messed up big time and they, and they i think they had a slug in the grout line because i screwed up so bad and they had to like waste oh, a bunch no. of grout and yeah they were not happy with me that day Oh no! I remember going later on. We went up. We met up at the tavern and had had dinner, just hanging out. And yeah, everybody ripped me apart. And I was like, "Yeah, I messed up. I own that stuff." I remember if you're not willing to eat crow and understand that you're not perfect, that is one of the worst things coming out after a dive. You're still in your hat. Oh, you're coming out and you see all those guys on deck, and you're just like, "Oh, fuck me! I don't want to take my hat off now." Right back in the water. And, and I've had some people like, I've had some people over the time, like, absolutely. Like I have, I remember one of my good buddies, uh, he had a Miller and it was a gasp dive and he came up so frustrated because the straps that he had hooked up to this cut piece of pipe that we were rigging out 
failed. It's slow. Oh, yeah. He had a double choke on this thing. Well, it was actually a timber hitch kind of choke rig. And he was trying to grab this thing with a, with a four by four strap. It was probably like a 30 foot strap. And yeah, he choked it, strapped awesome. it, and he pulled it up. And I don't want to name names, but this guy was so mad. Poor guy. I mean, he just, he was ripping off his hat, uncamming, because we had to put him in the can. He's throwing the hat on the deck and he's just cursing, rah, 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 just hating everything. And I just, I mean, you could see him even when I, because I had to run the can, I had to run the chamber for him. I'm doing his chamber run and he's just in there, just, you swore he was going to break his knuckles punching the side of the chamber because he was so frustrated. Oh, you know, those chamber rides, especially if you're doing Sergio 2, is you got to sit in that chamber and think about all the shit you yeah. fucked up on. Right. And it's going to stick. It's literally just fresh in your memory and you have nothing but silence and nothing but time to think and reflect on it. And you're going to sit in there. You're going to be like, I just want to. <laughs> you just want the, you want that chamber ride to go all day. Just like, take me to the end of the day. <laughs> well, I was maybe there York. was a couple that I took that I was just like, you know, I want to go to bed. <laughs> I want to go to bed. I want to, I want, I want to forget today. <laughs> I'll tell you about my first time burning. Out of my mind, you know. I'll tell you about my first time blackwater burning. Ooh, uh, there we go. So I was still in the National Guard at the time. I worked. I had worked for two years, and then I had to go to Iraq yeah. uh, with National Guard, our, our tank unit. And uh, I came back, and it was it was kind of like starting over. You know, I still knew everybody. Everybody respected me. I'm like, hey man, welcome back. You know, it was a really good feeling. Right. But I was on this job in New York where right around 150 feet inside of a uh a shaft for his tunnel boring machine to to come okay. out of okay. and uh i think it was probably about a 15 foot diameter shaft oh and there's these blowout plates on the bottom these uh steel panels they okay. fill them up with high pressure air they okay. blow out and then you can get to all the structure behind it and tie in with whatever you need to do pour concrete throw the pads in there right right but I was having to cut these panels out. Okay. I'd never burned. I'd never burned except for like in dive school, right? This was your first burning like, job? Yeah. And dude, this was, it, it was bad. So I'm down there. I'm narked out of my mind. It's a 150. <laughs> and I'm a little guy. And I usually get narked out about 90, 90 feet. I can start feeling warm and fuzzy. Now just, just to pause you for a second, explain to everybody what being narked out means. Oh, yeah. Well, so when you're breathing air, you got 79% nitrogen in it yep. and 21% oxygen minus the trace gases. Correct. And so you onboard this, this nitrogen and every atmosphere you go down, it's, it compounds, it doubles. Yep. Well, the first one does, and then it adds another atmosphere. So it just, once you it, get it, it just gets accumulating where you get, go ahead. It makes you drunk. There it is. It, it really is. Drunk. It gets you really drunk really quickly. I forget that some people don't know what that is, and I feel sorry for them. Well, and the funny thing that we're, I mean, just, just to run on a tangent off of narcosis, it's really bizarre when you've experienced that, how quickly you lose it when you come back up through the, through the water column. Oh, it's instant. No hangover, no nothing. So you just right, feel so, great. So back to your story. Go ahead. So. Brand new burner, or I'm, I'm yeah, a brand first, new first job burning. Brand new body. I'm down there. I've got like 20 minutes left. Yep. They send the torch down. I've got to clamp it off. I've got everything running good. Yep. Um, 
I have a strike plate, but I am too messed up and it's black water. And oh, I'm just like, this man. isn't, this isn't going, I can't transfer from one to the other. Cause I'm brand oh, new. Gosh. You know, my mind is messed up. Right, right. I think I'm, I'm suffering from a brand new tattoo. And <laughs> anyway, you've been, at, you've been hanging out in Louisiana in the bayou. <laughs> oh yeah. So we had to burn. So these, they're like four by eight panels. It's basically yeah. like a piece it's of a big, plywood it's a big or piece something. Of steel and you're cutting this. I have to cut a, a hole in it with some meat just to just to put a shackle on okay that's okay. all i had to do the front of that panel looked like i'd shot it with an uzi just, oh, bah, 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 just dragging so it. Little just, spots. i had no idea where the end of that broco was i don't know why i was so messed up i had no right. idea where it was i'm singing to myself probably i'm so high yeah um, supervisor comes on the radio sim check oh. and he says and he's asking me okay man you got it on there <laughs> uh, you got the shackle on there good is it in there i'm like yeah you got some meat on that i'm like yeah that hole's in there a couple inches that shackle it should be good <laughs> they pull it out uh-huh. and uh only a part of it came up and <laughs> saw the track just the pecker marks all over it right right i was so embarrassed and i was sitting there watching from the chamber oh gosh so you're looking through a viewport that's like maybe six inches big going oh no yeah 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 and so- this is this is after my shackle had failed and the next diver had got in there while I was still in the chamber and, fixed and it. he had to re-rig it. Right. And when it came up, you could see the, my hole was all blown out and tore up. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was embarrassing. It, that was a blown dive. I mean, yeah. all it was. So you, you brought up a, a funny statement. I want to just repeat to everybody the, the funny little nuances of just so many things that we've experienced as divers and just being in the commercial and industrial trades. Whenever somebody says the words, all you gotta do is, <laughs> it's almost yeah. like just taking a swift kick to the groin. <laughs> if somebody says, all you gotta do is, you, you say, look mother, yeah. this hat is one size fits all. Right. I, told, <laughs> I told a guy named Rob Seesock that once. Yeah. Uh, another friend of mine had told him the same thing and I just had to remind him yeah so I'm trying to think of some of the other funny little jokes and anecdotes from from being a diver and just being working in the marine industry I remember uh, one of the funny jokes that we used to do to a bunch of guys that were fresh out of school and and even some of the women uh, we would have a mic check stuff so you would literally have a, a mic from a Kirby Morgan hat as like a little for those of you who don't know, it's a little wafer disc kind of a thing with a little wire cord soldered to it. So we took some extra uh, electrical wire, soldered it together, and put an alligator clip on it. So and we would tell them, like, okay, we need you to comp check this, and we point at whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. for, so for a couple hours out of the day, you'd send somebody that was fresh out, never been in the, in the industry, and they'd go, yeah, you need to comp check that. Okay. And, and they would literally clip the alligator clip to whatever we wanted them to clip onto. And then you would literally listen to him screaming, comp check one, two, one, two, comp check one, two. Then oh you would say, okay, come Just up. Yelling on inside it's, it, yeah. It's, oh, I don't hear the pitch. Cause you, so when you're doing comp checks with dive helmets, fellas, you have to make sure you have good communication. So you do that and it should just be a clear, okay, you're at the comm box. You hear it. Top rack operator hears it. And then, yeah. So we did stuff, stuff like that. Do you remember any fun pranks that, that anybody pulled on you? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't, it wasn't too much of a prank. It was with our friend Joe Cadwell. 
Oh, good. Uh, hey, shout out to Joe. What up? Shout out to Joe. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough to get on a union job mm-hmm. uh, before I'd even joined the union. Nice. But this was this was like two, one of my first jobs ever. We we're in Oklahoma, and we Oklahoma. had Oklahoma. There was a sixty-six inch pipe that went under. Wow. A river. I don't remember the name of the river, but it went underneath well, that's it. That's a big pipe. It, it, yeah, and it was it was cracked, and it was getting water in it, and Ooh. city water was getting all crappy. So we went in there, and we had to put these uh, clamps in. Okay. God, I wish I could remember the name of these clamps. It's okay. So so the point is, you, you're on the So the point is, I'm down there. It's a 500-foot penetration. Okay. My, I think this is probably my first dive job. Nice. Yeah, actually, getting in the water, my first dive. My job was to sweep 500 feet of tunnel. Okay. With sand, just because we've been grouting and stuff. And I had, to, and Joe Cadwell wrote on the broom. He sawed it off and he wrote this end up. And I didn't <laughs> see that until I got down there, and I I had to pause for a minute and laugh this and really take up, it in. Huh? I'm like, and and that's when I thought, like, you know, I'm doing okay. If they're messing with me, I think I'm doing okay. Right. But I'll tell you what, there's never been a floor sweeper that efficient. <laughs> I, was, I was working for that first dive oh man that's priceless yeah joe joe cadwell man i love that guy he's a good dude yeah we gotta get him on here yeah he i actually uh was on his podcast a while back uh, true grit nation is his podcast so if you're listening you want to know about the trades definitely tune in to uh, joe, joe at true grit true grit podcast yeah I'm gonna have to or no excuse out. me it's it's grit nation excuse me i just think of john wayne and i think true grit that's my bad john wayne joe cadwell sounds same the same. same 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 yeah same, same. They, bo- they both wear cowboy hats whatever <laughs> yep so yeah i've been on a lot of fun jobs with joe yeah uh, really good dad really good i think dad. the reason i think the reason why he was so impactful on me is because i went i did a lot of dives with the guy and he was he's prior military also he was a navy diver and yeah uh, we Joe's easy to get along with if you're confident. And the thing that I like about Joe is like, he's so humble. He really is. He's not one to toot his horn and go, you know, when I was your gauge and I was doing this, blah, blah, blah. No, that's not Joe Cadwell at all. He's very relatable, very professional. Yeah, he's pretty reasonable. And, and, you know, one thing I've supervisors like that or divers like that, they, they've always got that safety in the back of their mind. Uh, most most divers around here probably know about the incident with Dave Schneider. Right, right. Uh, and then we don't, we, we don't need to get into the details on that because that's, no, no, no. That's, yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you want. Dave's going to be on here too. Oh, I, well, yeah. Dave, Dave, and I are friends. We we need to talk more. But, Dive uh, Dave is a good diver. Dave is a is an amazingly good dude. I love him to death. Dave, wherever you are, you hear this, man. Love you. Probably bro. driving around with one of the sports cars. He is the only, he is so one of a kind. There's there's no other diver Dave out there. No, no, there isn't. And I love that guy. He's so random and so ridiculously funny. He cracks me up all the time. And he's got a ridiculously good smile too. I'm so jealous of his smile. He has the best looking smile ever. I'm not gonna lie. It's, only a diver Dave. Right, only diver Dave. It's a patented smile. <laughs> you know, he was on that job in uh in Oklahoma with me was it and oh here's here's a funny one okay. I won't throw I won't throw Dave under the bus but he was mad at this job so we're di- we're storing our dive hats in a Connex okay and for some reason the mice that or a mouse that got in there 
shit in Dave's oral nasal <gasps> at least three different days. Oh, no. Traps. He had traps set out everywhere. <laughs> three days in a row? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Just shitting in his oral nasal. Oh, gosh. that is. I mean, so for those of you who don't know, the oral nasal is the, the front rubber piece that you breathe from. You put your face and mouth in this. So you got it. I mean, obviously he's got to clean that out every day and it's still going to It's a part of your helmet. Yeah. It's yeah. what goes over your mouth. Yeah. So that, that's how you get the Hanta virus. That really sucks. So it happen to a funnier guy though. Oh, you know, and that's just it. We've come, that's just it. Man. As, as divers and a culture of commercial diving, we've come across so many interesting characters because we so all are clients alone. Right. You gotta be, you got to be an oddball. You're not going to be the norm of anything when you work in the commercial diving industry. We're rare. We're very rare. And that's just yeah. it. It takes a lot. It takes a whole lot. And as much as I want to make it easy for people to understand that, you know, whether your career is in other industries, yeah, you got to earn your stripes. You got to get, you're going to get knocked down. You're going to have a lot of failures, but hopefully yep. you learn. Hopefully you learn from all your mistakes because that's just it, man. It's really about your, your mental toughness. Yeah. If you can get it past every new guy is going to be embarrassed, scared, Absolutely. incompetent. I mean, that's yep. just part of it. You don't come out of dive school knowing anything really. Well, I like to parody it to like boxing in a lot of ways because you're going to get beat down. You're going to get beat okay. down. The question is how far, how long do you stay down? You got to take them blows. Yep. You got to get back up and you got to get in the fight. And that's the way careers work. You know, Suck it up. Be embarrassed. Face those supervisors that hate you. Yep. Because that's going to happen. You're going to be. It sucks when you're going a new guy. It. You're going to be looked at as a new guy. Right, right, right. And it sucks. You know, it sucks to be the new guy. But look, five, ten years from now, you're not going to be the new guy. I didn't think that I would make it this far and not be the new guy anymore. I wish I was the new guy. You know, after I got bent in Egypt, that ended my career. And uh, yeah. heck, I'd still be a new guy. <laughs> right? And it's no, so didn't. weird that you and I, like, we love what we do so much. That, yeah, it, even though the work is grueling and exhausting and extraordinarily dangerous, we love it. We would rather do that every day if we could. But if they didn't call it work, I would love to do it every day. Exactly. And that's literally the way we've approached our careers and our lives. With that positive you attitude, ones. you know, the, the no, there's no quitting. Not with us. There's no quitting. No. You want to quit? Go work at McDonald's. That's a job you can quit. That, they they embrace the quit there. Oh, yeah. Well, they pay good, too. I might go there. <laughs> Well, you know, like I say, we all have our choices to make, right? Well, we do, and we got to live with them. Speaking of which, so just so you guys know, yes, Nick is quite the hunter underwater. And I hinted oh, about spearfishing earlier. Now, Nick, why don't you tell people about a particular YouTube video we were shooting once at Mia Bay where you spooked me with your fish that happens man when you're a good spear fisherman like i am you scare people <laughs> i was so so let me that was a this. cool cool dive 
It was. That's a great place. Mia Bay, I wish you guys would open up because, man, I love spearfishing out there. Anyhow, so Nick, being the amazing scuba diver that he is, and me not, (laughs) I'm very, very terrible in the realm of spearfishing. Now, I, I still get my fish, but Nick had already gotten his, and I was so zoned out because you're just you're in quiet, you know, you're hunting and you're looking for, don't fish. forget to throw in that. I had multi-species bag limited out. Oh yeah. Nick was dumb. Nick had got his limit and was literally hovering. How, how far above me were you? Oh God. I don't know. Probably 10 feet, maybe. Right. So here I am like maybe three feet off bottom, looking into the rocks, just zoning out with my gun, flashing my flashlight. And then out of nowhere, Go ahead, Nick. Tell them what you did. Boy, I can't remember. Did I drop them fish right in your face? You dangled one, and it was still thrashing. One of his lingcod on his stringer thrashed right by my, like, just not by my face, but in my peripheral. It was literally no more than three feet to my right. And I was freaking out because I thought that maybe a lingcod was, like, charging me. (laughs) <laughs> and then I just, I was literally so, it just caught me off guard. So I just, <laughs> and then sure enough, I see Nick drop down just below it. And then I'm just going, oh! <laughs> he you know, got me so good. That was, uh, those were some good dives. I think we made a couple dives out there on the jetty. Oh, God. I really wish we could have got out to where we were working on that pipeline. Yeah, that, uh, what was it? A submar map that's out there? Yeah, there's, uh, I think there was probably about 25 of them. Yeah. So yeah, for those of you who don't know, submar mats are basically big, huge concrete carpets that you lay over stuff to kind of anchor it down when you don't want to use an ecology block or anchors, other anchorage systems. But yeah, they blanket over piping that you don't want to float off. That you, Just you a don't big paperweight. Yeah, huge paperweights. And yeah, shout out to the people at Ballard and all those people like my friend here that did that job and made it work. And it's still out there. <laughs> oh, and you know, the plate, that pipeline, I have yet to meet anybody that's dove on that, you know, and I've shot I some think... big fish and you can see those in my YouTube videos. Right. Now, didn't you, uh, didn't you also say like one time we were, cause I remember you broke off one of our dives that we went out there, you broke off to go look for it and you found like, it wasn't the seal that like spooked you or what was it? Oh, that here we go. Here's, here's the Nick Southern story of the day. <laughs> we split off. You decided to dive the jetty. And right, I said, right. I'm going to go out and I'm going to hit that pipe one time because right. we hadn't hit it yet. And I made it. You were so we had, I had to surface swim probably two or 300 yards. Yeah. Then I dropped down because I knew I was still short of where the, this pipe was like 400 yards out there. Right. Right. Maybe not quite that, but, but it was so I dropped down about 300 yards and used my compass to swim into it <laughs> north. Cause the, the pipe is like a thousand feet long. Yeah. And so I'm swimming. I'm not there yet. I'm just, it's open sandy bottom yep. and it's murky. Everything is just Brown yep. and I'm swimming. Now, how deep was it? I was at about 45. Right. I was okay. out kind of towards the end of the thing. Okay. And, uh, so and I'm just thinking I'm going to be killer whale crap. And I'm thinking about all this stuff out there. <laughs> thinking about Jaws. Your, mind, your mind is wandering. Everybody's done it. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody does it when they're swimming open water. So I was, and so I got my BCD on yep. my dry suit. Everything's black. I'm this giant black blob <laughs> stuff hanging off spear gun, knives hanging off me, stringer, <laughs> fish. And all of a sudden about 
right where I couldn't quite make it out, I saw this big black streak. And I'm like, oh, no. Dude, I did not know what to do. I'm like, it's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. It's all over. (laughs) I was thinking, I was thinking killer whales. Yeah. And then I see it again. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here thinking, uh, it knows I'm here. It doesn't, it can do anything it wants to me. And then it got close to me. Uh And when it swam by me, I noticed, then I saw it was a sea lion. And man, those things look big when they're stretched out. Oh, man. And And they're so uh, fast. Oh, my gosh. They are so fast. That's why I thought it had to have been some kind of fish or a whale or something. But but you're in, yeah, you're like, say you're in 45 feet of water and the ambient light isn't tremendous because it was what? It was right around dusk, wasn't it? Mm, it was getting close to that right yeah it was our last dive you you figure once you get around 50 feet of water or below that the light is getting darker from the surface and yeah if you're you like say you've got your flashlight and that's it and even that doesn't really like i said it's it's a very small beam depending on what kind of light you got yeah so yeah you got a lot of you got a lot of clear open space a wild imagination and a lot of unknown too much time to think about it yep yep and then you see blackness moving (laughs) oh man i'll tell you what i was scared i was legitimately scared yeah and uh i didn't i didn't immediately turn around yet because i didn't even know what to do i thought well if i get to the pipe that's a place i know i could be somewhat safe i guess but not really now okay so i remember we talked about it afterwards and you were definitely shook up for a few minutes but you were over it like the next day now tell them <laughs> I'd like for it to oh, share. I, see. I, well, I made it out. Yeah. About I made it out about halfway there before I turned around, but I had my spear gun with my paralyzer on it <laughs> pointing behind me and my giant dive knife in front of me, just thinking like <laughs> like this is gonna ward off. Right, right. So attack. yeah, they'll, they'll definitely see this. Yeah, I'm safe. <laughs> when it when I when I got the best look at it, it was only a couple feet from my face and I could feel the water moving. Right. Now one of the things that happens when Nick and I get together when we go scuba diving is we definitely always talk ridiculously silly like we're a bunch of kids. And don't get me wrong, like we have no. our fun, but there's this this great this running joke that one day we're just gonna be wrestling octopus professionally. Yes. <laughs> and that's how I'm gonna die. Yeah. Yeah. We're going out. Here lies Nick. He got the first forearm, the other forearms got him. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, the thing with, uh, with the octopus are, they're plentiful. There's a, I mean, there's a ton of them in the sound. Yeah. Uh, they only live three or four years, five years, maybe. Yeah. Uh, everybody gets really upset when you take them, but you can take one a day all year round. That's how many there are. Yeah. That's what fish and wildlife has prescribed. Uh, not a lot of people do it, right. but the way that the way you're supposed to do it is barehanded, uh, right? You have, it's basically fisticuffs. You can't, you can't use anything to pierce their skin. Yep. You can't use irritants to flush them out and you can't trap them. Yep. You got to wrestle them. You can catch them on a fishing pole. Right. Yeah. That just uh, seems so like, like, I mean, it's different though. You can't it's help funny that. to me, like, you know, from an intellectual standpoint, I'm just thinking, you know, do I want to wrestle something that's got more arms than me? Cause I'm just thinking about like the way I logically think about it, Nick, is I kind of go, you know, it takes one arm to take my regulator out. It takes one arm to flood my mask. It takes another two arms to rip both of my arms and restrain me. And then it's got another four arms, one to maybe shut off my air. And then it's got three other arms to do whatever it wants. Assuming, because like I said, octopus are extraordinarily intelligent. They are. 
they are the most elusive creature ever. And I would never, ever, ever, ever want to mess with a very old one that is very intelligent. <laughs> like a four-year-old one? Some of those things get up to like 150 pounds. Uh, and that's just it, man. I don't even like, I don't even like the idea of shooting a halibut. That dive, I've only seen one halibut on bottom. That dive that I got spooked. Right. Uh, on my way back, I saw a halibut sitting there. It was up at Nia yeah. Bay. And it was yeah. probably 20 pounds, right. maybe 25. It wasn't huge. But still. I thought I could shoot it, but then I was like, I don't want to go to jail. Right, exactly, exactly. But the other thing about it for me, the reason I don't want to shoot halibut is I used to be a commercial fisherman. And watching these things that we had absolutely harvested that were in the 150-pound range, 200 pounds, you would kill them, fillet them, or just just clean them to clean out the guts. And three days later, they're packed on ice and they're still thrashing. Jesus. So yeah, I would not. There's no way to kill that animal. I don't care if you cut them, cut the head off. It will still swim. It's like a catfish. Catfish are like that. I, I remember one time I was a kid. I we caught a bunch of catfish and I cut the heads off them and filleted them out. Oh man! And uh, chucked them back in the river for the crawdads and stuff. And yeah, we ended up going swimming. We drove back downstream to the mouth of this creek and we're swimming in it. And all of a sudden I see a catfish head. Okay. Obviously one of these blue catfish that I caught and uh, it was still trying for air. It was still, still trying to go, go water just ahead. So just to kind of tune back into, you know, careers as a whole as commercial divers, if you had to give just one solid piece of advice to someone that wants to consider really getting into the business, what would that one piece of advice be to, the, to this random person totally off the street? I would say, I would say, look, young man. Or woman. Or woman. <laughs> I won't give advice to a woman in that. I think if they've already got it in their head to go do that, they don't need any advice from me. Right, right. But um, anyways, so you would say what? I would say, don't worry when you mess up. These old guys that you're seeing, they've done it too. They won't say that and they won't ever let you do it or they won't ever let you know it. Right. But they've done it too. Yep. Dude, trust me. This is part of the game. Yes. Part of the game is is struggling your first two years. Absolutely. You know, I and there's I, yeah. I couldn't have said it better, man. That really is that's solid advice, guys, people. And try to pick up everything you can. Like right. right. Don't like the supervisors too much, but really honestly try to learn well and that's just it is if you're mindful about everything that's going on you're literally watching others as well as trying to get stuff done that's going to get noticed too yeah i i absolutely love seeing a new apprentice or a new tender or anyone in any business that's actually got the right attitude and not only is doing the work but is watching how others are doing things so that they can learn from them too because it's not like you know I don't want to have to spend all my days blabbing it up, holding your hand as a person that's journeying into the business. I'd rather you show me initiative because I don't have enough time to teach you all the stuff I've learned. I don't. So I hope that, you know, people really take this advice from my friend Nick here and just no matter what you get into, it's a good idea, a good mentality to have that attitude. Just really be ready to learn, wanting to work and just be there. So you're not going to know it going in and you can't expect yourself to know it. And if you come in, 
come into the industry out of dive school thinking they taught me everything in dive school and you, you're not going to do very well. Yeah, that, that attitude doesn't help. It won't help you and it won't help anybody that you're on the crew with and you'll literally won't get called back. So anyhow, I think I'm going to go ahead and call it good there, my friend. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, Nick, appreciate your time, man, and just sharing with my the audience here and I look forward to going out spearfishing again. And, you know, this guy loves playing in his kayak and he gets on my butt for not having a kayak. You need a kayak. I'm telling you. I'll, I'll get, I'll probably have to use a canoe. I'm a little bit, a little bit bigger than you. Just a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm an extra medium. You are very extra medium and I'm very non-medium. You are not medium, sir. You are very extra, extra large. <laughs> I, well, just to let everybody know, you know, one of the one of the nicknames that Nick has given me that I absolutely adore. Go ahead and tell him, Nick. This is the Whispering Orca, ladies and gentlemen. Nathan <laughs> <laughs> and I love the fact that I can call this guy the Crazy Cracker. I love it. I love you to death, bro. I am the Crazy Cracker. That's right. So this is the Whispering Orca and the, Chris, and the Crazy Cracker signing off. Until next time, folks. It's the Crazy Cracker out. Outro.